Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Drew Allen at Compre Vineyard in Newburgh. It's June 22nd, 2023. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, first question is why wine? I've been passionate about wine since discovering it in the early 2000s, uh, especially Willamette Valley. That's the first wine that I tried that gave me pause to understanding that wine could be something very special. So early on in my wife and I's relationship, we lived in Northwest Portland and worked for David Namarnik, who owns Aloro Vineyards. Um, at the time, we were working for his transportation company based out of Portland. And we were neighbors living in Northwest Portland and walking by his townhome one day. He was in his garage tinkering around and we stopped to see what he was doing and he was making wine. He was, he was the classic garagiste. And we tasted some of his Willamette Valley Pinots the first time I had tried it. And, instantly fell in love with it. And then it just was a next 20 years of a deep dive into all things Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. So before we pick it up there, let's talk about kind of life before that. So uh, where were you born and raised and what was sort of life like before coming, before wine? Uh, born in Portland, Oregon. Raised primarily in Oregon, moved around a little bit. Lived in central Washington for a short period of time. Northern Ohio for a little bit, but primarily in Oregon. Um, before wine, I was in trucking. Uh, my wife and I met in transportation. We started a transportation company together in 2006, uh, sold it to our employees in 2017, and had retired for about three years before apparently that wasn't exciting enough. So <laughs> the, winery, <laughs> the winery became available uh, to us through kind of a series of serendipitous events. And, I felt as if the, the universe was telling us that our, our next calling was in wine. So tell me about that. Let's talk about the first business before we talk about wine. I'm curious about start, starting a trucking business or transportation business and, and building it to that point of sale. Uh, what, what prompted you to go that direction? Well, my dad was a truck driver, so trucking was always in my life. Um, after high school, uh, I didn't have a clear path as to what I was going to do. Throughout high school, I'd been working in the trucking industry in various aspects. Uh, and so as opposed to wasting more time and money at, at school and classes I wasn't attending, um, decided to, uh, to, to just work. So I uh, started working for some trucking companies and early on, like I said, from about 14 years old on, uh, working, working for trucking companies. And then in 1999, decided that um, the asset side of the trucking world wasn't for me. It, it had a very um, hard ceiling. Uh, once, once you loaded the amount of uh, trucks that you had, that the work was done, there wasn't much to go beyond that. And my personality wasn't conducive to having a hard ceiling. I, I needed to have limitless uh, potential and, and opportunities. And so the non-asset side or the brokerage or logistics side was my next kind of natural path, which is when I started working for David Namarnik in 1999. And then 2006 decided that uh, with my, my wife having uh, come, come on board at the same company, 
and with her assistance and help and guidance and tutelage, uh, able to really grow the business and understand that we could do it ourselves. And so then we did that in, in 2006. How'd the two of you meet? At work. Yeah, she was hired. Uh, she was hired at the same company I was working at in 2002 uh, as the receptionist. Um, I was smitten with her from, from the beginning uh, and uh, convinced, convinced her that, uh, that we should start dating and, and then somehow convinced the powers that be at the company to let, let her work with me as, as my assistant. So, um, yeah, we've, we've only known each other uh, through working together, so, which has been helpful um, going into this endeavor. I think if you're a husband and wife uh, in a small team doing something, I think it was, it was also important in our transportation logistics career together in that company, but certainly in wine, uh, I would, I, would, I would say it's a significantly more challenging in the wine business than it was in, in the transportation logistics business, for me anyway. For that business, um, what were sort of the highlights for you or, or the, the, the big goals achieved in the transportation business? I think starting our own company from scratch, um, that, was, that was big for me. Um, certainly not able to do, uh, do that without Aaron. Um, and then growing it, uh, figuring that we needed to scale it in order to monetize it, um, which wasn't necessarily, the monetizing wasn't the primary goal. I think the primary goal was to make sure that our customers and, and the drivers that, that we had supported over the years were continued to be supported. Uh, and the only way that happens is to scale and, and to find a, an avenue for sale. Um, so we did that, and then when it came time to sell, uh, we converted to an ESOP, an employee stock option purchase, um, and sold it to our employees, which felt really good. So that was uh, another milestone, I think, in my wife and I's career was the opportunity to set uh, 24 younger people up for, um, I guess, you know, kind of... Uh, retirement slash uh, an opportunity towards wealth. So you mentioned your kind of the your introduction to Oregon wine and Pinot Noir. Uh, tell me about from that initial kind of discovery uh, how you went about exploring and educating. Yeah. So the first stop was Liner and Elson in Northwest Portland because it was the closest wine shop, and it was it was Bob, uh, the owner at the time really giving us the education and taking us through some of these cult wines um, that, you know, I don't know that I appreciated as much then as, as I do now. I, I probably would have, would have purchased more inventory had I known. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, him, him taking us through some of the cult, the early kind of cult wines and, you know, the, the Camerons and the Thomases of the worlds and, you know, Beaufrere was an early one for, for us as well. Um, and then, I mean, then we ventured into some of the old world stuff as well. He really educated us about Burgundian wines as, uh, as well. And, and, but, you know, we were so close to wine country and appreciated the Oregon Pinots quite a bit. That was uh, our opportunity then was to educate ourselves. Where are they coming from? Who's making them? Um, and so we'd start coming to the Willamette Valley and visit the wineries and meet the people. And that uh, was... I mean, just the characters, the camaraderie, all the things that you hear about about the industry seemingly being true. What was specifically exciting about Pinot Noir, especially as you started to discover other wines? I think the nuance of, of Pinot, the opportunity for it to be something completely different, um, 
dependent upon site, dependent upon vintage, uh, dependent upon winemaking style. There's, there's so many different ways that you can, there's so many opportunities that Pinot expresses itself in a different way that I just wasn't necessarily finding in some of the other varietals that I was trying. So you mentioned coming into the valley and starting to meet some of the characters. Who were some of the sort of memorable, memorable meetings for you in those days? Uh, Jim Prosser at JK Carrier. Uh, what a fantastic character. You never, never knew what he was going to say, and it was, but it was always, it was always interesting. Um, certainly Mike Etzel, uh, another character in of itself. Uh, David Adelsheim, um, f fantastic, uh, knowledgeable and uh, helpful. Um, uh, Eugenia Keegan, um, a little bit later on for her. Yeah, I think those were primarily uh, John Paul at Cameron, another another character. Definitely characters, all yes. all, all of them. Uh, so tell me about the the as you had kind of you sold it sold the company. You're, you're excited about wine. At what point does getting into the industry become something you start thinking about? So it it was a passion, wine, something that whenever we would travel was our was always a big part of the travel. Um, we retired fairly young in our life and we knew that if there was an opportunity that presented itself, we would be open to it. I don't know, but we weren't going to search anything out at the time. We had put a lot of effort, hours into our previous business and frankly felt uh, that retirement was not a bad thing for us and we were, we were quite enjoying it. Um, one of the first things that we did upon retirement was travel because that was never an opportunity working and owning a small business. So one of our first travels was a river cruise on the Danube. On that river cruise, small boat, maybe 120 people, six of those people were three couples from Newburgh, Oregon that we had, we had never met. Um, but being from Oregon and being educated in, in wine country, there was some, you can't live in, in Newburgh, Oregon and not be wine adjacent at least. Uh, so there was an automatic connection there. And then additionally, two of, one of the couples owns Anamkara. Uh, another couple owns a, a business here locally downtown. And then the other couple actually had a transportation logistics company. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities for conversation. And in one of those conversations, I had said, I'd love to be a part of the wine industry, own a vineyard do something like it's a, it's a passion of mine would love that opportunity just conversation in passing cruise ends we all go our separate ways we're not exchanging numbers we're not you know we're not we're not besties at this point it was just a fantastic cruise and we all got along well um, 14 months later uh, my wife and i were living in seattle at the time we came down to pick up some of our allocations at some wine uh, clubs that we belong to we stopped in at rose marino's downtown newburgh for some dinner in walks one of the couples from the cruise that we hadn't seen or contacted for 14 months. Dennis uh, Lewis had, had remembered the conversation that we had had on the, on the river cruise, asked if, uh, if there was any seriousness to that, and if so, he had a buddy selling a winery, would be, be interested in going and checking it out. So we kind of chuckled, but Aaron's like, well, we've got a couple hours to kill tomorrow, uh, let's check it out. So the next day we came up to, to Vidon, uh, met Don and Vicky, um, 
really kind of fell in love with the place, fell in love with the view, fell in love with the fact that he's, he was growing and making some um, kind of different varietals than you see in the, in the Willamette Valley. The wines were great. The vineyard was in great shape seemingly for my uh, very pedestrian viewpoint at the time. Um, but we're pretty smitten with the place. We were on our way to Moab uh, right afterwards to, to spend some time with Aaron's folks and, and take a little vacation. So we figured we'd take the next couple of weeks to kind of determine whether it was, it was going to be the next step in our life. And uh, Don then texted me a few days later and said, hey, I'm not trying to push you guys, but I've got three other offers. I'd really like it for it to be you, um, but, you know, I need to know. I'm 90 years old or approaching 90, and I need to do something. And so what we thought we had a few weeks to, to kind of noodle on uh, became we need to make a decision. So um, we, we talked, uh, and there were two factors, I think, that, that really fed into the determination. One is that we both kind of same, simultaneously came to the conclusion that if we lost out on this opportunity, uh, we would not be happy about that. Um, we felt that it was a fantastic opportunity. And then kind of, you know, a big factor is, is can, we, can we finance it? Can we get it put together in the time frame that Don's kind of demanding? And um, so the last determinant is if we could actually execute on that, then we would we'd go ahead and, and buy it. And, and so we did, and here we are. There's the serendipity of it that was not lost on us too, right? Just the, rant, the chance meeting half a world away, and then the chance meeting again um, 14 months later. It felt like, felt like the universe was telling us something. So tell me about after the uh, making the transition, what were your kind of initial thoughts of the site, of the vineyard, of the winery? What, were your, what needed to be done? Uh, you don't know what you don't know is what, uh, is what I've determined. Um, it was funny. I, I, when Aaron and I were discussing about the potential of buying, I had conversation with Don about what the day-to-day -day was here so that we could perhaps paint a picture as to what our life was going to become. He painted a very rosy picture <laughs> of, what, of what the wine industry is all about. Um, but that's where my naivety came in, right? Um, had no idea what to expect and was like, oh, well, I mean, if this 90-year-old guy can do it and seemingly no sweat, then... Uh, you know, my wife and I, we can knock this out, not, not a problem. So, but when we started digging in, we started to understand that, um, A, there's some kind of capital expenditures that, that needed to be done, um, perhaps overdue, um, and just digging into what wine growing and winemaking is all about, it really opened our eyes to you know what needed to be done. I won't. I, I, I'm not saying that it was in disrepair. It was neglected. Um, but there was just a lot of work that needed to be done. Um, and it was also Aaron and I discovering who we wanted to be, what kind of winery we wanted to be, what kind of wine we wanted to make, how we were going to be good stewards to our land, to our community, to each other. And so it was a discovery process and a learning process. So with that said, as you were determining that, what did you kind of determine to be sort of the ethos of this place as you were taking it over? Well, the first thing we did is we, we went from conventional farming to organic farming immediately. And 
then we started looking at some of the other packaging details um, that that would result in a lower carbon footprint. Um, dis discovering what our fruit was, what our land was able to produce. And I think that's evolving still as we've converted to organic farming. There's going to be a change physiologically in the, in the plant and then it's gonna transfer to the fruit. So it's still a discovery process. But I think we're dialing it in. Um, we're dialing in what kind of wine we want to make. Um, just in so much as do we, determining pick dates um, that perhaps result in, in a little lighter style or uh, more acid driven, um, not as extracted, not as ripe, um, certainly ripe, but not, not as, as, as some of the, the previous vintages um, here. We've got a warm site, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it can be a challenge, um, but we're, we're kind of narrowing in on as to how to facilitate that. Tell me, tell me about that, about getting to know your site and, and exploring it here. How has that gone so far and how do you feel, how well do you feel you know the place? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, I think I would be naive to say I know it after two and a half years. Uh, I think it takes a while to figure it out. You've got one vintage a year that you can use to learn your site. So I've got two vintages under my belt. Um, the first vintage was a deer in headlights. It was just coming here every day having no idea what to expect. Um, and the second year was a little bit more insightful. I had a little bit more from the previous year understanding of not only the process, but how the grape juice, as it started to ferment into wine throughout the steps, what to expect from a flavor profile. Um, so, you know, without having any base knowledge the first year, it. There was nothing I, there was nothing I could I could I could uh, go back to or or, or think about. Um, so the second year helped help drive it a little bit more, um, and we helped learn helped us learn. Uh, and this is our third year, and and we'll learn again. And as I said, uh, the the vines are changing, as we're organically farmed. Um, the fruit's going to be a little bit different, and we're going to keep learning. Obviously, an interesting time to enter into the industry in the in the kind of the midst of the pandemic. So, so tell me about the factor that that played in your thinking and and how you'd sort of develop a business in that time. Um, I think we had the assumption in November of 2020 when we purchased, and I don't think we were alone, that the pandemic was on the downswing and it wasn't necessarily going to be play a factor in in the business uh we were of course wrong um but looking at it back retrospectively it offered us kind of a soft opening uh as it were um obviously there wasn't huge crowds coming out during the pandemic when they did come it was outdoor tastings only um you know 
we didn't have the tent at the time. Uh, we didn't have heaters even. Like it was, it was not the best tasting opportunity for people. So it's not like there were lines of cars waiting to come visit us. So for Aaron and I, not having been in the industry, not having been in this service industry, not used to talking to people, being engaging, being on all the time, um, it was good. <laughs> for us to have a soft opening because uh, it was still exhausting at the end of the day, even if we only saw three people. I was exhausted mentally, uh, emotionally, physically. Um, so it was nice. And then just to kind of get our stride as to how we talk about wine. Again, who we want to be, how we want to present ourselves, who do we want to, who do we want up here? Um, what, what's, our, what's our brand, what's our ethos, what's our mission? It gave us all those kinds of opportunity to, fi to figure out all those kinds of things. You made an interesting point there, not, not coming from a hospitality or service background, this is quite a, quite a dropping in spot here. So tell me about that, about sort of learning that part of things, the service hospitality part of things. Yeah, it, I think not having come from it, it ultimately served us well. I think we come with an approach that it doesn't necessarily, like, we're not selling you on wine. We're not selling you on wine club. We're not, we're not trying to provide for a transaction here. Um, I think our naivety played into, we're trying to provide a comfortable experience that you can come up and sit on, sip on some wine and have a conversation uh, on a human level and make a connection. Um, that's more personal than transactional. How did the name Compre come to be? So we weren't set on changing the name when we bought. In fact, we kept with Vidon for the first year and a half. Um, people would often ask what Vidon meant. Vicky and Don were the previous owners. It's a conglomeration of their names. So it would lead us into stories about Vicky and Don, which is fantastic. I love Vicky and Don. They're wonderful people. They're friends. They've helped us bottle every bottling since we've been since we started. Don came up and set some vol traps uh, and some gopher traps the other day. Um, so you know, I love them to death. I love Vicky to death, but we're not Vicky and Don. Um, and our mission and goal isn't to talk about Vicky and Don, it's to talk about us being a place of inclusivity where everybody is welcome, everyone should feel safe. Um, no matter where you're at in your wine journey, uh, you're welcome here. And Compri is French for both understood as well as included, which fits that ethos and fits our mission. Um, and so, it, it, and it was also not trademarked, which was helpful. <laughs> um, because as you see, a lot of places in the valley is a conglomeration of a couple people's names because everything's trademarked. So uh, yeah, it fit, it, it, so, and we're, we're, we're trying to make a French style, an old world style, a Burgundian style of wine. So it fit there. Um, yeah, it just was, it seemed like the perfect name. You talked about one of the interesting parts of the vineyard here is having some kind of unique varietals. So tell us about outside of Pinot, what else is growing here and what, what kind of you're excited about doing with it? Uh, we've got Syrah that was planted in 2010. We've got Tempranillo that was planted in 2011. Um, 
The Syrah was planted with some Viognier as well, so we can make a coat roti style, co-fermented and blended with that. Uh, I'm extremely excited about the Syrah. Um, our first couple of vintages are, are fan fantastic, and, and the previous vintages, Syrah, I, I think a cool climate of Syrah is fantastic. Um, the Tempranillo, um, first year we implemented a Rosea Tempranillo into our program. Uh, not that the full-bodied Tempranillo was, was bad, but we wanted to make a rosé and no one else was doing a rosé Tempranillo that I knew of at the time. I've since come to find out that Patty Green is doing one starting the same vintage as ours in 2021. Um, but that's fantastic. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, savory, year-round uh, rosé that uh, it goes with anything from summer picnic to a, to a turkey dinner. So. That's cool, I like that. We planted Gamay, was our first planting of, of something unique. I'm looking forward to that coming online probably next year. Last August, I planted some Cabernet Franc. I'm looking forward to that coming online, a cool climate, kind of Loire-style Cab Franc. I think Cannon will be fantastic in the, in the Willamette Valley. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're small, we're, we're micro boutique. We're not distributed anywhere. All of our sales are direct to consumer. That gives us a unique opportunity to play with some different varietals that, and be able to talk to, to, to people about why we're doing it and, and how we're making it and why it tastes like it does and how it's different than others. Um, I, I think it just, it just adds to our story and our experience and the opportunity for people. As you sort of honed that in, and especially as you've changed the name, how has the how has the the sort of the the customer facing side gone? How have the events gone and the and the uh, the storytelling? Uh, the storytelling is getting better. <laughs> um, like not coming from hospitality, as you had, had so graciously pointed out uh, previously. Uh, it you know it took a while for us to kind of understand. You know, how do, how do we talk to people um, and not to where it's like a disingenuous or, or not, uh, you know, e easy and, and authentic conversation, but um, we also need to talk about why we're doing what we're doing and um, why it's important to us. And that's taken some time for us to figure out what that looks like. Um, so that's going well. I think the story's being well received. It's. It's a slow burn. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, uh, as as we always say. But I think we're gaining some momentum. I'm excited about our future. We've we've got a couple of, uh, of new people that are either recent to our team or coming on our team that I think is going to further propel us. So that was going to be my next question anyway. Was about your team. So tell us about the team here and how it's how it's grown. Um, so. We've got, uh, we've currently got Ryan Faddis, who started with us a couple months ago uh, to take over the sales and marketing aspect of it. He comes uh, to us from a uh, almost eight year career at Beaufort, um, doing everything from just working his way up from tastings all the way to, I think he was the national sales uh, by the time he left and started with us. So uh, he's, he's fantastic for us. Currently, uh, David Bellows, is our winemaker. He was the winemaker for Dawn previously. Uh, we had convinced him to come out of retirement uh, when we purchased so that he could help us learn how to make wine. Um, 
he agreed. He said he had a three to five year shelf life dependent upon uh, my intellect level and, and uh, how, how quickly I'd be able to, to figure out how to make wine. Um, knowing that shelf life, we're coming up on, on the end of the third year uh, with David. So we've got a, a new winemaker that's going to start next month. Um, that's also going to help drive some of our vineyard decisions as well. Uh, as I'd mentioned, we, we converted to organic conf uh, farming from conventional. Uh, and now we're going to start looking at a regenerative um, farming uh, opportunity for this property and seeing how far we can push it. And, and so uh, Aaron Kendall is going to be doing that. Uh, he's starting, like I said, next month. He, he comes from us also from Beaufort, where he's been the assistant winemaker the last seven or eight years there as well. What prompted the desire for the regenerative farming? Again, being good stewards to the land is super important for my wife Erin and I. Um, I think closing the loop and, and having the opportunity, everything you put on your vineyard comes from your vineyard is, is exciting for us. Um, I think, again, you know, we talk about storytelling and, and I'm a little bit reticent to call it storytelling. Um, because it sounds made up or it sounds like you're trying to sell someone on something and that's not what we do here. Um, I think we are responsible. We are responsible to, to you know, leave the land a better place than we found it. And so that's what drives our decisions. Um, and, and so in that regard, it's not a story. It's, it's you know, just letting people know our, our thoughts and, and who we are. Um, more than, than trying to conjure up a story. So we make all our decisions here based off of what's best for the wine, and that includes the land and the vineyard, certainly, uh, what's best for our community, uh, and also what's best for each other. Um, so that those are the, the three litmus tests that, that we measure uh, all our decisions here as the, that we make as a team. What are you looking ahead to here? Uh, you mentioned kind of three years in, they're going into your third, third vintage this year. What's on the horizon that you're excited about here at Compre? Uh Honing in on figuring out our, our property, figuring out our vineyards, figuring out our fruit, um, figuring out what wines our property will support, uh, growing our community. Um, yeah, I think those are the things that I'm most excited about right now. So obviously you, you haven't been in the industry for terribly long, but you've been watching it pretty closely for, for 20 plus years now. Tell me how you've seen Oregon wine grow and, and change in that time. There's a lot more interest in it <laughs> from uh, both local and, and foreign and outside uh, from every aspect. Um, you see it in, in the growth. I, I think you probably know better than I, but what are we approaching 700 wineries in the Willamette Valley uh, right now? Um, that certainly wasn't the case 20 years ago. Uh, you, you read or hear or see uh, about vineyards being bought up um, by big players and, and small players alike. I, I don't want to discount. And I don't say that as uh, anything but factual. Um, I don't hold an opinion necessarily. Um, we're small family-owned boutique. I like that, um, but I also like the capital that the big guys bring in from a marketing um, perspective. I don't have that capital to make Oregon a draw across the world. They do, so more power to them. 
Um, I think I think uh, some of both is necessary for our long-term success. So, yeah, I just I just think there's a lot more interest. You look at the Oregon wine industry, and we're the fastest growing in the world right now, uh, and. And that's not that's that's in both volume and um, quality and and uh, from a from a price perspective, um, all of it is uh, on the upward tick, which is I think why you're finding so many people interested. Where is the industry going next? What's what's coming down the road? I think the immediate term is more people knowing about the Willamette Valley. I still think we're a fledgling industry and a fledgling region. I talk to people almost weekly that come up here from the East Coast or the Midwest that express to me that they only heard about Oregon, Willamette Valley, Pinot Noirs recently. So I think there's still a lot to be, to, to be done there. Um, again, both nationally and internationally. So, and I think that's coming. I mean, Pinot Noir has been our roadmap to success. I think Chardonnay is now starting to come into its own. We're, we're making phenomenal Chardonnays that are getting worldwide recognition. I think Bubbles is shortly, uh, is not too far after Chardonnay to, to be recognized worldwide here. Um, so I think short term, that that is our opportunity. Then longer longer term, you know, maybe more people play with varietals like Cab Franc and Tempranillo and Syrah here. I think I think we're starting to see more being planted, uh, and then just looking at other varietals that can thrive in the Willamette Valley. I know early on Riesling was tried, and then some why, somehow or some for some reason abandoned uh, abandoned, and uh, now we're starting to see that make a comeback as well, which I think is fantastic. It's kind of the perfect region for for Riesling as well. So. Um, I think we double down on, on Pinot and Chardonnay and, and get some world more growth and then start introducing some other varietals that we can do really well as, uh, along the way. Outside of what we already talked about sort of for the future here at Compre, is there anything else on the horizon for you or you, for you and Aaron that you're excited about? No, continuing to figure out what we're doing here is, uh, is, is what, you know, we're, we're hands on in every aspect, you know, we're, we're down farming, tractoring, pruning. Um, we're making wine. We're bottling wine. We're selling wine. I mean, we're we're involved in every aspect. We're cleaning bathrooms. We're you know we're doing doing the whole thing. And um, you know, as we're exploring what else we can do from a wine growing perspective, uh, there's there's no lack of things. So I think right now is still just time, trying to dial in that, and then. Who knows what else is on the horizon after that? And what uh, advice or words of wisdom would you have for someone wanting to join the Oregon wine industry? <laughs> I should say exactly what Eugenia Keegan and, and David Adelsheim told me when I asked them before we purchased, and, and they said, don't do it. <laughs> um, but look, I, I obviously did it anyway. Um, I think that if you have the passion and you love the lifestyle. It's the most rewarding and fantastic thing you could ever do. Um, 
I say all the time, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I wouldn't do anything else. I absolutely love every day of whatever it, that brings, whether that's having to fix something for the 12th day in a row that broke, uh, or uh, cursing Mother Nature for, for yet another kind of um, unusual weather event uh, that seemingly happens every month anymore. Um, but it's, it's just the opportunity to grow something that can ultimately be shared uh, and, and conversational is, is, is remarkable. So um, I, would, I would tell anybody to do a gut check, make sure it's everything that you want, talk to a lot of people, uh, make sure you have perhaps a better understanding than I did as to what your day-to-day -day looks, looks like. Come see me, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if, uh, if all of those boxes get checked uh, and you're still in, you'll never do anything better in your life. So the questions that I have for you, uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have, uh, anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to cover? I think you pretty much hit it. All right, excellent. You're rich, thank you. Thank you, appreciate your time and, and sharing your beautiful space with us, sharing your story with us, and uh, go ahead and let you off the hook. All right, cheers. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.